You know, I'm actually surprised. This was the first episode LeVar Burton directed. Like, this is late season six. And now? I mean, if you remember, Frakes has been directed since season three uh, with The Offspring, I believe, was the first one. Burton, now this is surprising me as well, because for those of you not aware, Burton kind of kept working as a director for some time. In fact, he would direct not only a bunch of Star Trek, but that would kind of be his career path going forward, director, producer, etc. So seeing him just starting that career path here, like right at the end of season six, is kind of surprising to me. Anyways. So, yeah. Um, I have a question. They can only beam down to this planet at very specific windows in yearly intervals. As in, like, every eight years, they get a few minutes to beam down. Okay. Remember that they had less of a window the last time they were here. Who built this place? And how? And why? I mean, yeah, I know scientific data, that which they're extremely vague on at all t accounts, which is very important to get this scientific data. But they just... I mean, I guess they could have beamed down an industrial-scale replicator. Which brings me to my next question. Why are they using transporters here? Now, I know that sounds like a strange question, but remember, transporters are, like, the most difficult-to-use tech. Like, it requires... Think about how much is required to get an audio signal to someone. Just audio, nothing else. Now imagine live video, okay? Now imagine a transporter, which is a, a factor of literally billions more complicated than a live video feed. And yet, despite this place being horrifically dangerous, they can beam down safely, but they can't go down in, like, shuttle because it's too dangerous to take a shuttle, so they have to beam. What? Doesn't that seem kind of off? Now, I know it has to happen, because the whole point of the episode is, Riker, there's Riker 2, and I get that. It's just... Okay, whatever. <clears throat> Anyways, I, I, I basically... This is another one of those examples where I think they could have done the construction of the premise a little bit better. Uh, I'd have to think for a while to do it myself, because you got a really complex premise here. You want to have another Riker, and it's very important for this to be the same person, just branched. That's the whole point. It's not a clone in the traditional sense of the word. It's you were one person, now there's two of you. Up until the very second, the very millisecond, the very instant of that, you are the same person. And for probably a decent chunk of time after the branch, after the split into the branch, you're basically the same person. It is only after time and experience you slowly develop into someone else because you are having different experiences than the other person. Which is actually interesting because... Thomas, which I'm just going to call him Thomas for the sake of simplicity, is very much like Riker, which is strange. I'll talk more about some of the specifics of the premise later. I want to save that for last. What I do want to talk about is why... It, it, it's kind of strange, because Riker starts off surprisingly understanding with Thomas. He's like, okay, you know, this is a strange circumstance. We're going to look into it, obviously. I'm not trying to accuse you of anything. We'll try to figure this out. He also makes a comment when he's being scanned by Beverly that the replicators haven't worked for some time. So what have you been eating? And drinking, for that matter. <laughs> I mean, this place is a hellscape, right? That needs radiation shielding and all sorts of other stuff, and you've been here for eight years? Also, that's another thing. Thomas is astonishingly sane for someone who's been isolated for eight years. I, I, can, can any of you even imagine? I can't. 
the idea of being in total isolation for almost a full decade. Like, you think it's bad, you sit at home, you play stuff on the computer or whatever. No, 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 this is like a whole new level of total isolation. You can go out if you want to. You, you can talk to people online if you want to, or you've got your phone or whatever. Uh, imagine if that's not an option. It's not even on the table. Not strangers, not friends, not family, no one. <sighs> he, wow. Anyways. This is part of the problem here. I think this would have worked better if they, they approached the the second Riker thing from a different angle. It probably doesn't help that the original point of the story was actually completely different, but I don't want to get into that just yet. So instead I want to talk about... Um, they, they make this point very early. They're both real Rikers. This isn't like Kaelas, right, which she just had, where it's like, is he the real one or not? No, 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 no. They establish very quickly, no, he's the real thing. Stop thinking about it. Okay. So then Thomas sees Troy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He gives her this huge bear hug, and then a passionate kiss, and then a hug, and then another kiss. And she's just like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> I mean, can you blame him? I've talked about this concept before, and how it can affect people's interactions and relations with each other. And what happened here is one person went on with their life, and the other person didn't. They had that image, that, that, that mentality of that person keeping them going. Uh, I recently, and or will in the future, talk about this when it comes to the Ant-Man 2 rumination. Uh, this also, I believe, comes up for uh, something else I've talked about recently. I don't remember what. It's, it's a topic that comes up semi-frequently. Probably the most famous example that I've talked about it in is StarCraft II. Both Raynor and Kerrigan had the, I lost the person, so all I had left was the, the memory, the image, which, by, you know, that was what helped them to keep going. That's what gave them strength. And then by coincidence, they both got each other again. Usually it's one way. Usually it's, it's as it is in this episode. That's true in real life, too, by the way. Where one person is shut off from the other person. The other person just goes about their life like nothing happened. But the first person, they're going through some traumatic, horrible stuff. So they cling to that memory as a way to give them motivation to keep going. Thomas has spent the last eight years, um, you know, legitimately thinking about the fact that Troy is still out there and that he still loves her and that there's still going to be a something and blah, 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 blah. And so his reaction to seeing her is, if anything, subdued. <laughs> this, of course, then leads to... Um, a really weird section of the episode. The episode can't seem to decide what it wants to do with everything. And its, it's pacing is actually genuinely bad. There's just weird lurching moments in the story. That being said... I want to give special praise to the episode. I counted. There's about three minutes of a threat of the week in this episode. We're pretty much right towards the end. Now, I'll talk more about that later, because obviously it's at the end, and it's actually relevant to something else. But I like that. For once, we don't actually have a threat of the week. This is all character stuff. This is all about an examination of our Riker, and I'm saying it that way on purpose, versus Thomas, or rather, using Thomas as a lens to see insight into Riker, and using Thomas as a lens to see into Troy and seeing more insight and perspective there. And this will, in some very small ways, come forward in the future. 
not until the films, but, you know, something is something, right? Anyways, so this then leads to, uh, you know, the whole idea of, I gave you an order, Lieutenant, you've got to do this, and blah, blah, blah. Again, I'm amazed at how well he is responding at all, because he's basically not used to doing any of this. He even mentions that briefly. And yet he apparently is lockstep with actually going ahead and following his career path. In fact, that's what he does at the end of the episode. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. So then Act 3 starts. I'm going to go and be honest. This is probably my favorite section of the episode. That's coming from me, Mr. Anti-Romance. And let's be clear, this is a romance of the week. It is. I'm willing to forgive it a little bit, because it does eventually pay off in like a year and a half. Actually, it's more like three years, isn't it? Anyways. And it does also... It's a good character piece. It does give us insight into the character in question, Troy. So at least it's better than nothing. But it is still a romance of the week, so it's like, okay. But I do like the little breadcrumb thing. I've actually done that before myself in real life. And I think one of the reasons it's so nice of a little thing to do is because it involves effort. This is just my opinion, but I've noticed that people, regardless of gender, tend to like it when the person that they are romantically connected to puts effort into something for them, right? He could have just given her the the thing, the, the the carving. He could have just done that, and she would have appreciated it. But instead, he does this whole walk-around trail thing. And you could tell she appreciates that extra work, that extra oomph that he puts into it. Just a little, little tidbit there. So. Then he and her have a long discussion. And this is actually, if I'm being honest, my real favorite part of the episode. Just Thomas Riker talking to Deanna Troy. We find out about how much she has regretted this and how much she still harbors feelings for Riker. In fact, this is something that's been commented on by the creators as well as Marina Sirtis herself, that at this point in time, she still wants... Like, if, if Riker opened that door, Troy would accept that and go after him. It is only the fact that Riker has closed that door that means that relationship is cut off. This also is an insight into Riker's mentality, that he talks about this whole thing and he realizes, like, like I want you to imagine for a moment. It's okay, they're going to come rescue me. Oh, wait, they think I'm dead. That's actually a really horrifying concept to me personally because you can have a degree of certainty in your friends doing their best to rescue you if they know you need to be rescued. If they don't, well, then they don't put in the effort at all. And this has come up several times in Star Trek. Each time it just makes me go, just a little bit, because, I don't know, something messed up about that. This, of course, leads to uh, Crusher being adorable. So what happened? We talked a lot. And then what happened? Well, then he walked me to my quarters. Well, then what happened? Beverly! <laughs> what? Just curious. <laughs> so then, wah, wah, wah. This leads to a very interesting scene. Troy goes to talk to Riker. And Riker says something very interesting. You don't need my permission. And, of course, he he reads correctly enough to be like, look, this this is a thing. And she's like, well, normally I wouldn't, but this is kind of a special case. And he's like, no, just be careful. She's like, no, he's not going to hurt me. No, 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 no. If he got out instead of me, he would have made the same choice as I did. I just don't want you hurt again. Not long after that, he gets word that he's got a job offer to go ahead and be on the Gandhi. Now, 
this is where the construction of the episode starts to break down a little bit. This guy, I, I, I want you to picture the, the paperwork. Just the paperwork for the mere existence of Thomas Riker, okay? Can you picture that for a second? Now I want you to imagine that within days of them discovering that he exists, he's been offered a post on another ship. This isn't the Dominion War, where they desperately need anybody in any seat that they can get. <laughs> what the hell? Anyways. This, of course, is kind of indicative of the point, though. And this is part of why this episode does succeed, in my opinion. Because they both are the same person, really. <sighs> Let me try and explain this a little bit. Let's say if this split happened when they were five. Okay? Five years old. Both Rikers would be completely different people. Such vastly, wildly different experiences, while they are still developing, would lead to completely alternate personalities, perspectives, and everything. Probably even just base preferences for simple stuff like food or art or music. Completely different people. Now, if it was closer to, say, 15, well, that might be a little bit more, eh, because some of the developments already happened. But most people don't really settle on who and what they are until they're in their 20s, in my, in my experience. In fact, actually, if I could be blunt, most people I know don't really get settled into who they are when, until they're in their 30s. Rikers was split off in, when he was like 28, I think. I forget the exact age. He's already had enough time to develop who he is before the split. This is then the point of the episode. Even though they've had eight years of different experiences they're still fundamentally the same person in multiple ways. So this kind of leads to the dilemma and the problem. This, of course, then leads to the poker game, where the poker game is very telling, but ultimately it's so on the nose, I don't have much to say about it. I do just have to say, I mean, Thomas says you just had the better hand from the beginning. And he's right. Riker was dealt a better hand. The question is, what are you going to do about it now? See, that post on the Gandhi, that's that's just him being himself again. Trying to reassert his career, trying to become a captain, to, to lead. He wants that. At his core, he wants that. He wants Troy, too, but he doesn't see how he can have both. This leads me to something that irritates me a little bit, if I might be so bold. Um... Just a little bit ago, Jerry Taylor mentioned that we want to show, you know, Aquiel, right? We want to show that not everyone is single in the 24th century. So that's how they do this. <laughs> this this is the, the, the second time since then, third time if we're counting Aquiel, that they've introduced a romance and then torpedoed it. Because screw it, everyone needs to be single in the 24th century. What? <laughs> I mean, I know this sounds like a strange thing for me to comment on, since I tend to be seen as anti-romance. Uh, but it's not that I am anti-romance, it's that I am anti-fake or bad romance. I'm fine with a good relationship. I can think of three, right off the four, right off the top of my head, that have happened across Star Trek that have worked quite fine for me. One on Voyager, and three on DS DS9. And actually, now that I think about it, there's one on Enterprise that works pretty well too, at least once you get to Season 3, Season 4. So... I also have to admit, this is where I have a question for you. So I said something on purpose earlier, and I was leading up to a point. 
If you had a choice, would you rather Troy end up with our Riker or Thomas? Now, do me a favor, go ahead and answer. If you're going to answer, go ahead and answer. Pause the video for a second. Go ahead and unpause when you're ready. You don't have to hit enter yet. Just let me know. Okay, so now that you're back. Now, that's a leading question, and I did it that way on purpose. In fact, that's why I made the earlier point, because we have a predisposition to thinking of him as our Riker. When, in fact, he is simply one of the Rikers. As I made the point earlier, same person, different, slightly different experience. Eight years is a decent chunk of time, but as I said, they are fundamentally the same person. We tend to have an investment into Will Riker because we've seen him on camera for six years. Ergo, the idea is, if Troy was to end up with one of them, she would have to end up with Riker, not Thomas. Because Thomas, well, nobody cares about Thomas. So I've done a little more research. You remember, I, I, Thomas only shows up in two episodes of Star Trek ever. This one and the one Defiant one. I forget the name of it, actually. I think it's just Defiant. Ah, that can't be right. Anyways, it's, it's the episode where he joins the Maquis over in DS9. That's it. And in both cases, there was deliberate intent by the writers to bring him back, which was torpedoed by the executives because they didn't want to do anything with him. This is, I've, I've done a lot of digging into this since then, and this is, near as I can tell, this is still the realm of speculation, but this is why. Because any continuation with Thomas wouldn't be acceptable, because he's not our Riker. So he doesn't count, he's not real, he's a fake, a fraud, even though none of these things are actually true. We may have less investment with him, but he's simply a new character. Now, if this sounds familiar, hear me, hear me out. So, in the seventh season of an established Star Trek show, they would try to take an existing character and replace them with what is effectively a completely new character, but a very similar parallel to the previous existing character. Dax, excuse me. Now, I know what you're thinking. Laura, they were never going to keep Thomas. Actually, they were. Here's the catch. Towards the end of the episode, there's the three minutes of peril I reference. I'm glad that it's so brief. This is also where the bait-and-switch happens. Originally, okay... A lot of people were watching this with the expectation that Lieutenant Riker, Thomas, would die, saving Riker's life. That's kind of the expected thing, right? Instead, nope, he lives and we can use him in future episodes, and we never will, except for that one. Which irritates the crap out of me, but whatever. So that's neat. If they had actually followed through on it, it would be even better. But the original ending was actually a little bit different. In the original ending, Riker died. This was actually supposed to be the season cliffhanger. No, pun intended. And Riker was going to be the one who lays down his life to save Thomas. Then, he would get a posting on the Enterprise. I mean, he, he basically qualifies. He does have all of the, the necessary skill and compliments, blah, blah, blah. He'd have to learn this crew, but that's it. So he would then be a new character to the show in the face of a different character. And you could see the DS9 parallels a little more strongly here. Now... And they were going to do this whole restructuring of things. Data was going to move up to first officer. Uh, they were thinking of pushing Worf into the command track, which actually did end up happening in DS9. Uh, Riker was going to take over the con. Just all sorts of stuff like that, right? It was a bold idea. Let me go ahead and say that I wish they'd done it. I wish they had gone ahead and moved forward with this. It would have really helped to shake up Season 7, which is something Season 7 really needed. Because Season 7's kind of crap. And the main reason it's kind of crap... This, is, this isn't just me, by the way. Granted, I haven't seen seven, Season 7 yet, so we'll see what I think of it when we get to it. But even the creators of Season 7 have said that it is at best disappointing because it's all tr trite and rote and predictable and they just didn't know what the hell they were doing. 
I'll talk about that more when we get there. Probably after Descent, I would say. Liaisons, I think, is the next one. Anyways, <clears throat> so this might have been the shot in the arm that the show really needed here. To, to really give them an idea and something to launch off in. Because there's all sorts of additional story potentials. That probably sounds familiar. Data Dreaming changes the character in a way that allows them for new story potential. Picard and Crusher getting together offers new story potential. Riker being replaced by Thomas offers new story potential. So you can kind of see why I'm like, about all this. Now, this is actually interesting. You're probably thinking, well, Lore, why didn't they do that? This is almost sad. So Rick Berman was actually on board with this. Not initially. But when he thought about it, he was like, yeah, yeah, this could actually work. Please keep that in mind for a second. Rick freaking Berman. <laughs> that guy who I have been bashing unashamedly for almost the entirety of the last, like, eight years at this point was actually down with this idea. He had to be talked into it, but he saw the potential. Pillar was more against this than Berman. Taylor was completely behind it. You know, uh, Braga, Braga was behind it. Shenkar was behind it. Everyone was like, yeah. Why didn't they do it? The movies. This is part of the problem. This goes back to our Riker. See, I think I've mentioned that Generations is already in production. Well, in Season 7, they will actually do most of the actual pre-production and scripting work. Uh, point in fact, they will start filming Generations 10 days after they finish filming All Good Things. As in filming, which is well before the episode actually starts being processed and edited and posted and all that fun stuff, right? That's how early, they, that's how much they were ready to jump into Generations. Just bam, let's go. So they'd been doing prep work all across Season 7 and part of Season 6. And they decided they couldn't have Thomas Riker be in the movies because he wouldn't be our Riker. What do you think, guys? Legit question. I can see the reasoning. It's the whole thing. You can't have... It's, it's, this is an old concept. You can't have a Halo game without Master Chief. You can't have a Metroid game without Samus. You can't have a Witcher game without playing as a Witcher, right? This is a very old concept that I very much disagree with, and I have disagreed with since I was young. I get it, at least. I do understand this. I just disagree with it. So I can see other people's thoughts on this, which is why I'm asking you of yours. Either way, Thomas leaves, shows up in what is effectively a cameo on DS9, and is never heard from again. And people say Voyager was the only show that had wasted potential. Hope you've enjoyed, guys. I'll see you next time.